Hello and welcome to the first episode of Points of Information for 2021. We are back again to conduct a post-mortem of all the round one topics, discuss what some of our adjudicators thought was done well and not so well in them. We are going to discuss some of the other changes that have been happening in the debating world, what with the changing world around us, and here to help discuss that, I have assembled a crack team of three expert adjudicators who will be going through the topics with me. If you are not familiar with this, hello and welcome to Points of Information. This is the Debater Association of Victoria's podcast aimed at our school's competition debaters, where we discuss all things debate-related for our school's competition. I am Alexander. I am the current media and publications officer. Today, I am joined by Luay. Hello, Luay. Morning, Alexander. I've been adjudicating with the DAV for about three and a half years, I believe now. I'm the DAV's current secretary, hopefully looking to, to be very active within the DAV in the coming years. I've been debating for about, I believe, I think I sat my first school's debate about 10 years ago. In the time since, a lot of my adjudicating experience has been local community adjudicating, helping organize competitions on a really small scale. And then when I moved to the DAV, I was able to apply that in a different, more uh, more accessible context. Today, we are also joined by Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hello. I've been adjudicating for, I think, three years, and I've done some external training as well. So you may have seen me in the eastern sort of regions, or very occasionally I venture outside into the great wilds of other regions. <laughs> I, sh- I feel like I should mention externals means that Sarah is someone who will not just the school's competition, she will also be out going into schools to do things like school's house debating competition, for example. Hi, I'm Joel. I am returning to the podcast yet again. I am still the Vice President Adjudication and Training, and I do run around everywhere and try and get to as many places as possible so you will see me probably wherever you do debating. I think we should get some of the elephants in the room out of the way before we discuss how round one went. Firstly, we are back in person. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Some of the changes we've made this year is we are now running hybrid debating. By that, I mean the school's competition is going to be running in all the regions we're used to, but we are still running the online regions. So welcoming to our regional roster is online Monday, online Wednesday, and online Thursday. And that means that we're getting a much wider and more diverse group of debaters participating in our school's competition in our online competitions, which is great. Yeah, it's been really good to see some take-up from everywhere. Ogan, Colac. Hamilton, Turalgon, all of these places are online and we just haven't been able to give them regular debating in the past because we we don't have that many adjudicators out in Oyen or in Colac. So it's been good for them to be able to get online and really make us the debating association of Victoria rather than just being the debating association of mostly inner Melbourne. And we're really glad to see more of that and expose the debaters to other debaters that are further away. It's been really interesting. I feel like it has been a great improvement because the way we used to do those regional areas where we would do an intensive day, we'd send a group of adjudicators, you know, down for a day or two to run a one-day competition. Now they're part of our regular competition, which has some benefits. If they do well enough, they might qualify for finals which would be really great to see. be even better if they came and won it. That would be just like, yes, you know, diversity. I don't know. 
along with our new online regions, we have a couple of new or fairly new in-person regions. We have the completely new region of Paran, which is being held at Wesley on St Kilda Road, and the Melbourne and Williamstown Bayside College regions are getting their first proper year because they got interrupted by COVID last year. Williamstown has now been split into high school and Bayside College to accommodate how many schools really want to get involved, and it's good to see that. Okay, so I think we should do a, I say tongue-in-cheek, a post-mortem of some of the round one topics. I have strong opinions on some of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. For round one, the A-grade topic was that Victoria should abandon the Belt and Road deal with China. And as we are recording this, we are, what, one week away from the federal government actually having done that? Yes, the federal government getting in the way of our important debating plans. I think the important thing to note, if you haven't done round one yet because we are a little bit mismatched sometimes, it's important to know that just because the federal government has done something doesn't make the debate any different. The question is still whether we should abandon it, not whether it has been abandoned or hasn't been abandoned. And there are plenty of other debates we have where we disagree with an action being taken by the federal government or the state government or anyone. And just keep that in mind. You can still make all of the same arguments. It might help you in sort of saying, well, we think we can see that this is going to be a problem or someone else thinks it's a problem, but you've still got to explain why we should believe you or why we should agree with that group, not just say, well, a thing has happened. Just carrying on from Joel's point over there, because this is something that has resulted in physical, tangible legislative change, I think it gives a lot of debaters who've already done this debate some insight into the political theatre and the political process as well. Because coming at this from a debater's perspective, trying to understand the geopolitical or diplomatic implications, that is effectively exactly what's happening within the political theatre. That is exactly how both politicians and our administrative bodies and legislative bodies have been engaging with this. So to an extent, having that experience as a debater has almost primed you to have a better understanding of the process and why certain decisions were made. And yeah. Yeah, I think as well, this topic is really interesting and it shows how much debating actually relates to the real world and how important it is to have that sort of general knowledge of what's going on in the world around you. I've had some debaters, you know, they come out from a topic and they say, oh, I had no idea about what that even was, which is a bit frustrating because it makes it really difficult to debate. But yeah, these topics are always relevant to what's going on in the world. And I think, yeah, it really shows how important it is just to have like general knowledge, read the papers, keep up with what's going on in the world. Um, and make sure you can apply that to the debate. And for those of you who have more prepared topics, read the resource guides. The resource guide for this one was particularly good at summarising what we wanted to talk about. The only thing I'd add to that is the, this did have some really complicated ideas and I think it was really important to get an understanding of those. But remember to not just repeat the ideas once you've understood them but rather try and make sure your adjudicator can understand them. You need to convey complex ideas very simply. I had a lot of discussions of trade deficits and soft power, and while I remember doing global politics units three and four, the average reasonable person or your adjudicator's persona that they have to take on has not necessarily done global politics three, four, and doesn't understand what soft power is 
until you've explained it to them. Yeah, I feel that same principle also applies to a lot of the ethical and or moral imperative arguments that we use during this debate. A lot of the time we we have fundamental presumptions about what is or isn't ethical and we rely on an adjudicator or an audience's predispositions to make the connection for us to explain A, B, C, D, E is or is not ethical. Whereas ultimately, and forgive the crudeness, but adjudicators should be treated as effectively I believe the the official word is lay people. Average reasonable person is the correct term. Okay, average reasonable person. With no expert knowledge. With no expert knowledge. In other words, adjudicators should be treated as stupid people. Please explain everything to us when it comes to individual ethical considerations, or as Joel has already mentioned, when it comes to more complex, nuanced, legislative and political terms. Yeah, I don't think it comes down to explaining everything um but rather checking assumptions and making sure that you've sort of thought those through and that you're explaining those is how i'd phrase it yeah if if i might just hop hop in on exactly that i think a good marker for students is actually reflecting on how a particular piece of information is being used if you are presenting us with information of a particular trade deficit or a particular ethical violation, human rights violation, that in and of itself can be treated very much as a type of evidence that's being presented and subsequently evidence that needs to be substantiated and explained for your audience. Whereas giving us, for example, background information or trying to to give us some, some introductory content to your speech, that may be treated a little differently. See if you can explain it to another student who isn't a debater. If you talk to an another year 10 or another year 11 and they don't understand what you're saying you probably need to explain it more and give me that understanding just following up there on sarah's point um a lot of the time it depends on how you're actually using your information so you can think of this to an extent a little bit like one of your english essays through the teal perspective where some of what you're saying in your essay is going to be presented as evidence now the idea behind that is that you're trying to present some real-world, grounded, something with veracity that you can rely on as a baseline for your arguments, and then extrapolate on that and substantiate on that by explaining its relevance to your audience. If you are trying to present, for example, a legal or a geopolitical point, or even like an ethical violation, it's all well and good to present that in isolation, but in the same way that you can't just tell us in an essay, for example, If you were to sit here trying to write an essay on why the sky is falling down and you state the objective fact that the sky is currently falling or that the sky is currently not falling, that in and of itself does not have any implicit persuasive impact on us until you explain to us the impact of that on your contention. And the same would apply to any of these legislative points. The same would apply to any of these ethical points. So I'm just going through my notes of the A-grade debates that I saw. And I'm sort of trying to look for some common themes, and that's very challenging because normally I can look through, you know, I can look through all of the B-grade debates I saw for round one and say, you know, here are some common themes, here's what was generally done well, here's what generally wasn't. It's it's normally quite common to see, you know, there'll be one or two things that it doesn't matter which region, which team, that's always the thing that most teams need to work on. For A-grade, though, it's a little bit all over the place. The closest thing I can find to a common theme is that in my notes, I write teal every time a debater starts a new idea or a new argument, and I then start crossing off the letters as they get done. For this A-grade debate regarding the Belt and Road Initiative, there are a lot of 
uncrossed L's. In fact, there are a lot of L's that are circled in red pen. So as much as ever, I think now is a good time to mention, as well as explaining everything, you need to link it back to the topic. Yeah, I agree with you, Alexander. That's one of my personal pet peeves is when someone follows the other steps of Teal and they explain everything really well, but then they don't link it back to the topic. And so then you sort of got this argument here that isn't actually furthering your case. You've just sort of spent a minute talking, but you haven't really made it worth it. So when people forget that link, it is very frustrating because I think it's a really key step that people often don't see as important. It's like with without the link, it's just like, ooh, here's some fun examples that I've found. <laughs> that's that's basically all it is. It's like, did you know that we spent this much money on trade last year? It's like, wow, I didn't. That is so interesting. How is this related? That's the voice in my head. It's just, you know, telling me, how is this helping your case? How is this proving why or why not we should be having a, you know, Belt and Road Agreement? So ignoring A grade explicitly for a minute and just focusing on all grades, this is something that I've noticed all teams do across all rounds, all grades this year, which it's more presently of a problem to me. I'm noticing it more often this year than I have previously with thematic rebuttals. And it seems to be just, I hear this story so many times. I go up to a debater and I say, okay, I think you've tried to do thematic rebuttals here, but I'd, I'd like to, you know, talk about that. You know, when they come and ask, can I have individual feedback? My feedback is like, okay, we need to work on the thematic rebuttals because there's a lot of room for improvement. And they say, oh yes, I had you know, an English teacher or the debate captain say, you should do thematic rebuttals and then walk off. And there seems to be this big gap in how we are teaching debaters how to actually do thematic rebuttals where they're left just like guessing how it works and doing stuff that's sort of like, it looks like thematic rebuttals. They'll start their speech by saying, here are my themes and then proceed to not do thematic rebuttal from that point onwards. Thematic rebuttal is where I am. Basically, if you can think about like nearly turning all your rebuttal into an argument like first or second speaker, that's a bit like what thematic rebuttal is. At the start, I expect to hear a signpost of your rebuttal. I will be talking about two things today, the geopolitical issues and the economic reasons, and that would be your signpost as a third speaker. And then you would group your rebuttals into those two categories and discuss them in their own time. So then you would start your first argument or argument in inverted quote marks, because of course at third speaker you aren't allowed to introduce new material, and you would say, on the topic of, you know, geopolitical reasons, here are some of the things that the other team have said, you would go through them, you would explain them, you would explain your team's point of view on that issue, and you would analyse them, and you would thoroughly address everything you have to say, and when you've finished, you would link it back to the topic and say, you know, and that is why my team's case is stronger on this issue, and then you would move on to the next thing that you signposted, you know, the economic arguments, and then you would go through your economic rebuttal. And that is at a very high level what I as an adjudicator would expect to hear from thematic rebuttal. It, it's logically breaking your arguments into distinct sections where it is very, you know, clearly talking about one issue at a time and taking the time to adequately address every aspect or every significant aspect of that issue uh, when addressing the other team's case. Joel, do you agree with that explanation? Yeah, that's good. And I think one way that you can get better at doing that 
is writing down the two team splits that come up because every first speaker should bring up a team split and that is an insight into what is going to be talked about in this debate. And what I used to do was literally write down the two team splits next to each other and draw lines between similar arguments to try and work out my themes. And themes don't have to be anything fancy. They can be how is this going to affect China? How is this going to affect parents? How is this going to affect my dog, right? Stakeholder-based themes. Stakeholder-based themes are often very effective. And talking about some of the debates that came up in round one, picking stakeholders may have been a more effective way to break down the big issues in the debate. One of the ways that I saw as an effective way to talk about the Belt and Road Initiative debate in rebuttal was to split it into how this affects China and how this affects Victoria. And that was really effective because those were the two big issues. It doesn't have to be economic and geopolitical. It can just be important things that came up in the debate that we spent a lot of time talking about. So if you want to have a go at thematic rebuttal or it's been suggested to you, have a look on the website. We have a couple of things in the resources tab or old issues of our newsletter harangue that do look at thematic rebuttal. But if you just want to give it a go and ask your adjudicator, that's also really effective. That's what your adjudicator is there for. We're there to help you train. And if you can't get enough help because your debating captain is busy or your debating coach has other things that they need to focus on, that's all right. Give it a go. See what you can do. And we will help you fill in those gaps. Let's move on to B grade. B grade, for those of you who are not year 11 debaters, is that schools should not teach texts that are deemed to contain discriminatory content. I have many issues on this topic. I should mention, though, this year was a first for me in that nearly every debate I saw was A, B, back to back. So in the first hour, I saw an A, and then the second hour, I saw a B or vice versa. So I feel like every debate I have seen this year has been either Belt and Road or discriminatory content. And something that happened every single time, I think, or nearly every single time I saw this topic was I saw a definitional challenge. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. Bring out the scary theme music. <laughs> Talking generally, not about this topic specifically, but I think as debaters, we reach for the definitional challenges too early. I can Sometimes I can understand why this is. At the same time, I think you can't say that without acknowledging that at the sometimes affirmative teams do a really lackluster job of adequately defining the parameters of the debate, either by not providing us the sort of parameters and the definition that's needed to be able to, you know, say with any authority what is and isn't within the limits of what we are talking about, and also self-serving definitions. Joel, would you like to regale us with what the Australia-Asia Debating Guide says about how a team, an affirmative team should define the topic? So according to the AADG, which is the Australia-Asia Debating Guide, it's our rule book, there are two purposes of the definition, to identify the issues to be debated and clarify the meaning of words in the topic. And it needs to be workable. So we need to understand what is going on so that the average reasonable person in the street understands what the topic is about. I know it's a very simple explanation, but the one I've always given at training is that if we do the topic that boxing should be banned, 
you want to define boxing as the sport where people punch each other because everyone understands what that means. You don't want to define it as putting things into boxes because that's not taking an obvious route and that's taking a very different look at the topic that isn't fair because it's no longer workable for the other side. And I think that's what Alexander was getting at. You want to have a workable definition and as the negative team, you want to accept any workable definition. Sometimes this might mean changing your arguments a bit, though. I should also mention, in rare cases, and very rare cases, I've not done this often, but I have had to do it for this topic once, uh, we do consider if the affirmative team has presented an extremely unfair definition, and that does have an impact on scoring. It affects their persuasiveness because yes. if you've taken a super narrow position, you won't have been able to convince me of the big issue as effectively as if you took a wider definition. I think I saw that in a specific debate where an affirmative team came in and defined not teaching texts by saying that we should selectively teach texts or move the texts around in the curriculum so that they're taught in different contexts, and then defined containing discriminatory content as containing anything that could potentially upset someone that everyone agrees is upsetting. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is one of the most superfluous and unnecessary definitions I've ever encountered. You've done nothing for your persuasiveness other than lock yourself into a bit of an ivory tower here um, where you're unable to engage with the rest of the debate. And you've, to an extent, made it impossible for the negative team to actually engage with you because you've preemptively distanced yourself from all the points of clash. So be very, very careful when trying to leverage the definition as almost a debating tool to remove yourself from the debate because I promise you it shows very poorly on your persuasiveness overall. It's a tool for the debate, not a tool for your argument. I think that's the distinction. And it is shared amongst every debater in the room, including the other team. Beautiful. Yeah, so it's it's not necessarily a partisan thing. It's not something that is for your team's arguments. Um, that would be your model. I feel like we should have a different music, not da-da-da, for your model. Uh, I do want a da-da-da for the model. I think this becomes one of those difficult topics in that neither of the teams wants to be racist or discriminatory while trying to sometimes argue, you know, not against not being racist in a way that doesn't be in and of itself racist. I understand that no one wants to be like that, but... I, I see some I think that's the reason why I'm seeing some really just trippy models and some of the, the I think the worst case would be there was an affirmative team that presented the status quo as their model what I think the adjudicators here would just internally groan when they hear that let, let me explain the background in case that's not clear the affirmative team must provide a would provide their argument as the topic, you know, that we would ban discriminatory texts. The negative team has got two choices. They must have a constructive case, and they can do that either by presenting an alternative or by standing for the status quo. That's the choice the negative team has. They can say, nope, we, do, we disagree with the affirmative. We're going to keep doing it the way we've always done it. Or they can say, no, we think we should do things this 
different way, where it might be, you know, discriminatory texts are permitted, but students can't borrow them from the library. Hypothetical example. So when the affirmative team is arguing for the status quo, suddenly we have both teams arguing for the same thing. And that is a very big problem. That would probably be the worst case where I've seen this. Uh, Effectively, the affirmative team was, you know, saying that, what happens now is that texts are set by VCAR and VCAR should not set texts that have discriminatory content and then just sort of argued it in this broad way of, you know, that would then extend to libraries and just books would be banned generally across the whole school. Some other examples of problematic definitions which I saw for this topic included, I'll say issues discerning which classes they would be taught in. Like, it's like we would ban discriminatory texts except where the you know, purpose of the text is to explain why the racism is bad. Or there's cases where teams got stuck trying to navigate the difference between is it discriminatory if it contains content that is, I guess, empowering, like talking about the plight of, I'll I'll say, you know, slaves in America in the early days of American settlement. That it might not be discriminatory. That might be, you know, history books. And then, of course, this is a very long discussion that could be had that some teams were not well equipped to have. The thing to remember in debating is that it is not a negotiation. We are not trying to find some middle point between the two teams that will work for everyone. We want the affirmative team to strongly go in favour of getting rid of of texts that are just of texts that are deemed to contain discriminatory language. And we want the negative team to be all for those texts and just say that there are a set of positives. And a lot of the models I saw, like teaching it in another class, didn't actually solve the problem. Because what it did was they said, we don't want to expose children to these texts, so we're going to expose them to the texts in a different classroom which isn't effective. You've tried to over-nuance the topic. I really encourage you all to not be too clever by half. Just do what the topic says and believe in the strength of your arguments to convince the adjudicator of your side. We're not looking for the most reasonable, nuanced, negotiated position. We're looking for a persuasive, simple-to-understand position that we can justify. You don't get points for being trickier than the other team. This isn't politics. Easy, just to, just hopping on to the model discussion before we leave it. You also want to be careful to not take that reductionalism or I guess the simplicity in your model to an extreme because I quite literally had a team that interpreted that we should not teach texts as we must take the most extreme interpretation of not teaching texts, hey, maybe we should dabble in totalitarianism. So please, please be careful when following that advice vis-a-vis your model. You still want to consider this in terms of your overall persuasiveness. It's not some ideological bent that you're committed to by virtue of having a particular model. I'm not sure if that's entirely relevant to as a counterbalance to um, what was mentioned just before by Joel. Please remember above all else that your model needs to be reasonable and needs to be something that everyone can easily understand and easily imagine being applied. Don't propose 1984 as a solution to racist texts. <laughs> I just love that, though. It's like Just before we move on to, to C, just a concluding comment on B. This goes out to 
pretty much every student who took this B-grade debate and was sitting there in the planning phase and thought, all right, how do I appear not racist? Which I, I, I saw was a concern for a number of students just in the way that they've constructed their arguments. Please, in debates that seem to be sensitive like this, understand that your main consideration is your persuasiveness and your team's case. It's not necessarily coming across with some sort of nuanced political interpretation of things that'll make it seem like your team has an elevated ethical position. Focus on the topic. You don't need to necessarily, so long as you're not saying anything too wild or too out there, you don't need to dedicate a large portion of your time proving to your adjudicator that the content you're presenting is not inherently discriminatory. Let's move on to C grade now. I'm, I must confess I didn't see many C grade debates, so I'm going to throw it to some of the other panellists here to discuss. But for those that weren't in our C grade debate, the topic was that alcoholic products should be subject to a plain packaging laws. I adjudicated this topic quite a bit and I found it was quite interesting to see especially how the negative team approached it because there was sort of a tendency to sort of swing a little bit too far and, you know, say that alcohol is great. It's a force to hold together society at the expense of sort of recognising that it is a dangerous drug. So I think it's really important to consider even if you are the negative team, you can still take a nuanced position and recognise, you know, the dangers while also putting forward that it shouldn't be subject to plain packaging. Another really obvious point here is the connection to plain packaging with smoking, which I think Joel will speak a little bit more about. But it sort of comes in as well to the focus on who the packaging is actually targeting and its purpose. So that sort of ties into the idea of looking at the stakeholders, so not just, you know, the stakeholders of an alcohol company, but the people in the debate, the groups of people who are actually affected by a topic such as this. So is alcohol, you know, something like cruises that's targeting a younger demographic or something, you know, sort of higher up the shelf that might be targeting older people who are more aware of the risks? So some teams did this really well and did sort of talk about the dangers for young people who might not be aware of, you know, the damaging effects that alcohol can have. And so by using plain packaging, that can sort of be alleviated by removing some of those appeals that might draw young people to drink more alcohol, but less relevant, I suppose, for older demographics. So it is really important when you are coming up with your arguments to think exactly who this is going to affect and then bring that into your arguments and making sure that stays really relevant. Yeah, and you're right. There were a couple of really good debates who really were able to tell me how advertising works and why it's likely to affect children or younger people or older people. And that was really important. And I think you're also right, Sarah, that there is a difference between having a model that gives lots of space to your opposition. So like conceding a lot of material about why something is good or bad. And then there's just facing the fact alcohol is not good for you. Like scientifically, medically, it is not a health food by any means. So you can accept that, but still have a really strong case as the negative. Just focus on something other than the health aspect. I really loved this topic because it made a really good comparison with cigarettes and plain packaging of cigarettes, which happened quite some years ago now. And it was really good to see that comparison coming up. But I want to 
encourage debaters to not do what we call an argument by example. And I saw this with both cigarettes and sugar in a couple of different debates. What I mean by an argument by example is where instead of starting with some idea like alcohol is bad for your health, you start with an example like liver disease and then you build the argument up from that. And the problem is that you are constructing the argument backwards. Like we were saying with the A-grade topic, it's about having an argument first and using your evidence to help that. I had one debate that talked so much about sugar in their debate that the major issue when I was giving my adjudication didn't come down to alcohol because no one had talked about alcohol. We'd heard about whether sugar is or is not like alcohol and we talked about whether sugar should be plain packaged or banned or gotten rid of. You want to be careful with that. You want to focus on the key ideas and how your examples help that as opposed to starting with your examples and trying to reverse engineer the arguments. It was good to see the use of examples, but you want to use them to support your argument. Yeah, I agree with you, Joel. Um, And I think another really important thing to consider is that if you do use an example as the crux of your argument and then the other team disproves that or establishes that there isn't a really strong connection, you've lost a really significant part of your case. And that makes it really hard to win if you don't have any more material that's more sort of argumentative, if you are relying on that one comparison between products. And I think that did happen in some of the debates that I saw. The other team said, we don't believe that there is a strong connection between this and smoking. There are different circumstances. It's aimed at different people. So we disregard the other team's approach here. And then that left them really struggling to come in with more material and make up that gap. The final thing I might say about C-grade is jumping back a bit to definitions. And I heard about a couple of teams that used a definition that maybe didn't go with the intent of the topic because some people tried to define alcoholic products as including hand sanitizer and cleaning products which can contain alcohol as a chemical compound yes but you need to think about what the intent of the topic is and I don't think we have a a mass issue of people doing dangerous things with, say, hand sanitizer compared to something like binge drinking. And if you look at the resource guide, the resource guide did also focus on drinking alcohol or even chocolates with liqueur in them and stuff like that. We don't mind if you expand it out to like edible alcohol as opposed to just beverages, but going further into sort of antibacterial wipes is probably going a bit beyond what we call the spirit of the debate. It also makes it very much harder to argue because the other team is going to have a much easier time dealing with that part of your case and it really destabilises your entire case at the same time. Again, I'm going to lean on some of the other panellists for degrade, although I did see this once or twice very earlier on in this year, that the government should subsidise tourism in regional Victoria. 
goodness, what a timely, relevant topics we have this year. We actually did start with a set of really relevant topics. Government subsidies of tourism in regional Victoria is still happening right now. The Belt and Road Initiative is happening right now. And discriminatory texts or the packaging of alcohol are just perennial issues. They come up all the time. I think one of the things that was maybe difficult with this topic and maybe we could have phrased this topic better was explaining what a subsidy was or what it means to subsidise something. So some teams took a very broad approach to subsidising tourism in regional Victoria and basically said that they just give a lot of money to companies that happen to be in regional Victoria regardless of whether they're involved in tourism or not. And while I'm, that's not necessarily a bad thing to do, but it wasn't really the topic. The topic was about specifically encouraging people to go and have holidays in regional Victoria by giving them some money. And so we want to think about that intent before we set up our model or definition for the topic. Yeah, I had quite a few teams who seemed to fundamentally misunderstand the concept of subsidising and also sort of how to use that as a model. So I had some teams who'd establish, you know, they'd agree with the topic and then their second speaker would go on and as their arguments, they would propose several alternative models. I think one team used the example of giving out brochures to encourage regional travel which is not what subsidising is. So I think especially in D-grade, it's important to make sure that you do understand the concepts. You're not just looking up the dictionary definition and reciting that without actually understanding what it means. But even, you know, like asking teachers or parents or debating coaches exactly what a term means and making sure that you are following that in the debate and consistently between speakers as well. One other thing to keep in mind for teams was that there were a lot of negative teams that saw that there was a struggle in regional Victoria and they wanted to help. The only problem is that they then just started giving money to regional Victoria, which is very similar to subsidising tourism in regional Victoria in terms of the way it affects them. And that's a bit of a problem because it's not putting enough distance between the teams. If we were having a different debate and we were trying to debate, you know, what to have as a snack, we don't want to have a debate between like a red apple and a slightly different red apple because that's going to have to be very narrow, very precise, very small. You want to have a really different set of examples. You want one team to be arguing for the apple and one team to be arguing for lamb shanks or something. You want to go really far away from each other to create that space because then you can disagree. When both sides were saying we should give lots of money to regional Victoria, neither side could argue that we don't have enough money to spend in that area or that we should prioritise some other area. You became too similar to the other side and that's a real risk. Joel, just as a question on that, um, who do you think the onus of maintaining that distance falls upon? It's more of an important thing for the negative team often because the affirmative team gets to speak first and set up the debate. But it shouldn't be hard for either team because you should just take a really simple view of the topic and if you're on the negative team, take the opposite view. Put a not in the topic and that's what you're arguing. 
you don't want to be doing anything that seems too similar to what the affirmative team might come up with. And on the affirmative team, you don't want to be doing anything too similar. You don't want to be too clever by half and try and work out a debate that's going to cut the other side out. You don't want to do that. You want to have lots of distance so that you can win those arguments. But it really is on both teams, even if I think it might be a little bit harder for negative teams. I, I think I saw an example of where that became very, very difficult in the second round B grade topic. Just a bit of a, a bit of an unrelated thing to bring up. Um, but a lot of the time I saw, so I've, I've seen it once so far, so I should probably ignore that a lot of the time. But from, from what I've seen in this topic so far, the affirmative team tends to bring in a, yes, we should fund universal free childcare because childcare is A, B, C, D, E, which often leaves the negative team coming in and saying, well, yes, we should fund it, but it shouldn't be universal or free. We should have different levels of subsidy at different levels because we accept that childcare is good for A, B, C, D, E. So in a debate like that, where both reasonable positions are extremely close, how would you suggest that debaters go about differentiating themselves and creating that distance? Take a different stance that is more different. So sometimes you do need to step away from something that is, yes, reasonable, but too similar to what the other side is going to argue and just say no, we're not going to do that. We're going to take a really strong stand to the side, I saw on this topic that Louis mentioned, I saw a team do this where they said, actually, we think it's most important you spend time with your parents. And that gave them a really strong, clear message to follow, which made it easier for them than trying to also agree that there's a bunch of good things. Yeah, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Look at those magical resource guides that we wrote. They're on the website, in the resources tab, schools competition resource guides. It gave a really clear explanation of what sort of things we were talking about for subsidies and what sort of models you might look at. I do want to say, though, on a positive note, I really loved the range of arguments I had. I saw social arguments, economic arguments, environmental arguments, a whole range of different reasons that people thought we might be trying to subsidise regional tourism or why we were trying to help regional areas. There was a lot of discussion about which side was more worthy, Metro Melbourne or regional Victoria. And I also want to commend all of those teams that were able to give me some examples of regional holiday destinations. <laughs> Not only because it helped out, it helped your argument to say, we want to subsidise the paddle steamer in Echuca because we think this will help the people of Echuca. It also gives us lots of ideas for where we might go on our holidays in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. I'm just thinking now what I wouldn't have given to have adjudicated this debate for one of the online regions with Warrnambool or Horsham yeah. or Colac or something. That would have been amazing. I think Joel's point was really good to end on, but I just wanted to say one more thing. I found it good as well that people were looking at current circumstances and exactly why this would be enacted. Because I think it's really important to make sure that you do situate the debate in 
the current context, especially considering that we did have a pandemic, there is no international travel. You can use that in your arguments to mention exactly why regional travel is so important. You don't have to sort of pretend we're back in a bubble of normality where you can still travel internationally. So I think teams that did recognise that were doing a really good job. Recognising the context is a really important thing to do. All right, so final unrelated topic before we move away from degrade. I just want to highlight an issue that I saw in some of the preparations and some of the plannings that I observed, where a lot of the time teams were able to come up with very diverse ideas. They were able to come up with topics that covered a broad range of frameworks, everything from historical and indigenous issues through to you know cultural integration, which are niche ideas that you know a lot of the time we wouldn't see or consider at surface level. However, I did see a number of teams run into the issue of having too many ideas and not being able to prioritize which were going to be their strongest or which they were going to be most comfortable about talking with. So would anyone like to shed any insight on what process either you personally have gone through in deciding what your strongest cases are um, or what you recommend for students? Well, that's a really good question, Louie, and I've done a lot of training in round one and round two, and I do a little bit of coaching on the side. And the things that you need to consider are two things. Firstly, what has the largest impact? And secondly, what can you do best? And when I'm talking about the largest impact, that's two questions. What's going to impact the most people? what's going to affect a small group of people the most? So if we're looking at the arguments in this debate, one of the arguments might be how it affects regional communities and how they're going to be disrupted or helped by this. And if you think there's going to be a really big impact on them, their lives are going to be completely changed, it's probably going to have to go earlier in your debate rather than being pushed down to the end. Whereas if you've got some environmental point about you think there might be a little bit more litter around or they might walk off the trail a little bit too much. That's probably a smaller point. It's probably affecting people less. And so you probably want to move that down lower. You want to try and put as many strong arguments as you can at first speaker and have your second speaker do strong arguments that are less important. When it comes down, though, to making the final decision, if you really can't split them, Go with what you're most comfortable with arguing and try and set up your argument the best as you can. If you're really good at explaining arguments about money or you're really good at explaining how people are affected by the environment, that's a really good decision to then go, well, I'll take that argument at first speaker considering I've got this other strong argument as a bit of a tiebreaker. But the most important thing is what is going to impact the most people or what is going to impact people the most. Yeah, no, thank you for that, Joel. And that makes a lot of sense. So a lot of the time, it's just going to come down to prioritization for your team. Come up with as many ideas as you can, because none of the ideas that you come up with are ever going to hurt you or hurt your debate. But ultimately, it's up to your own discretion. Decide on them, discuss them, and figure out what works best for your team. Round one recap done. We're now in the middle of round two. We're already starting to see some of the regions have started on round two, but for some regions that is still coming. The next thing that's going to hit us is round three. And what does round three have? 
Secret, Secret topics. topics. Yes. Secret topics. Or if you are in C grade, they have advised topics, which this year is advised education. So please be careful for your secret topic round three or your advised topic if you are in C grade. You need to arrive an hour earlier than what you normally would to have time to adequately prepare your debates. If you are unfamiliar with how secret topic works, don't worry. We have discussed this on the podcast before. Just go through the archive. It's episode two from 2019. We've discussed secret topics a few times. I think that was the episode where we actually prepared a secret topic on air, or am I thinking of a different one? Yes, it was you, Elmira, JB, and And Izzy. Izzy. Where we were given a topic by JB, which we then had to prepare in half an hour. That's a little bit faster than what you'll have. Don't worry, you've got the whole hour to prepare your speeches. Of course, you don't Please do not worry too much about secret topics. The topics are deliberately a little bit easier. We don't want to force you to have to do copious amounts of research in a secret topic. And just remember that you cannot use technology when you are preparing your secret topic unless you are in the online competition. If you are in an in-person competition, do not get out your laptop. But you can bring in newspapers. You can bring in as much printed material as you want if you got an entire encyclopedia, put it in a wheelbarrow with the last two years of every (laughs) edition of The Age and just wheeled it into your debate room, we wouldn't have a problem. But if I see you with a phone out, that is grounds for an instant forfeit, so please do not do that. If you don't trust yourself, please leave your phone with your teacher or your parent at the region. That is unless you have applied to the office for some sort of special consideration. If you need a device for some reason, please let the office know in advance and you'll be able to approve it. Otherwise, you will be subject to that sort of instant forfeiture. We have a whole series of public speaking days for seniors, intermediates and juniors. There's still some time at time of recording to sign up for some of the later junior regions. So if you're interested, talk to your debating coordinator or your English teacher. That's going to be really great. Those are great fun days. You get to do your prepared speech. You get some training at the junior days and you get to do two impromptus. I am so excited to see what everyone comes up with for the impromptu topics. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening. If you have any questions would like answered by an adjudicator on this podcast as always you may email publications at dav.com.au if you would like any further resources or help with your upcoming debates they are all available on our website dav.com.au just click on the schools tab and then resources on the left sidebar Thank you to our three other panellist members today for going through what the round one topics have been and what has been done well and not so well about them thank you you the listener for listening we hope to have you tune in again next month for our next episode but until then bye bye for now bye, bye. Au revoir. <laughs> <laughs>